Welcome back to Revive School. Here we are, Lesson 40, Mark 12. Yes, we are continuing to talk about Jesus being the servant. Now, when we get into Mark 12 today, think about this. We're going to talk about a parable. I haven't got to teach on a parable in a long time. I I feel like we kind of, it's not like we avoid them, but we kind of do a little bit. So when I think about a parable, guys, how would you define a parable? If you were to help our students online, in person, listening on radio, how would you define a parable? Uh, An everyday story or objects that translate to a spiritual meaning. Kevin, that was really good. Kevin, because you got that answer, what color would you like me to draw a vineyard today? Go blue. Okay, he got really excited. All right, so we're going to talk about, so Kevin, you talked about the object, okay? You talked about an object, okay? So that's what we're going to do. We're going to talk about a vineyard. Kind of looks like my temple yesterday. (laughs) All right, so it says this in Mark 12, verse 1. Then he began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard. Okay, so we're just going to walk through this whole process. What you planting there, Kyle? Well, we'll get into that in a little bit. He then, okay, you guys ready? He then put a fence around it. Okay, so he planted a vineyard. Man, that paid off when I was bored in school. I did a lot of 3D drawings during school. You guys know my grades were never really good. Yeah, we could. So people have already turned this episode off. All right, so we got a vineyard with a fence. Don't encourage them to. Just think you like coloring. And then he dug, look at this, he dug out a pit for a wine press. Okay, so he dug out a pit for a wine press. Oh, and you ready for this? Look what he built. Let's make it like an airplane watchtower. <laughs> <laughs> you know you travel too much when it's like a... Yeah, that looks... Air traffic control. Air traffic control. Thanks, Rich. All right, so here it is. Mark 12, verse 1. It says, He began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard. We got that figured out. He built a fence around it, dug out a pit for a wine press, and built a watchtower. Then he leased it to tenant farmers, okay? And then it says, and went away. So the owner went away. So he leased it out, okay, to some farmers. Okay, we'll just draw two of them for the sake of time. Okay, so the land, the owner, okay, so you have the owner, you have the vineyard, okay, we also have a fence, we also have a pit, right, we have a watchtower, all of these are items, objects, and then we have people, we have tenant farmers, some people will call them vine dressers as well. All of these, we're going to get to the point of maybe they have a picture for what we're supposed to learn spiritually. And the reason I wanted to draw it out today is because for me, when you tell a story, tell a parable, like let's just make it come to life. Not, you know, Taylor's going to turn this into 3D animation here in a little bit. So let's talk through uh, different things about a tower. What would be the purpose of a tower, Kevin? A watchtower. What would be the purpose of building a tower? So you could get up above and look down see what's going on. Great. So you have a lookout post. Okay. This also serves as, okay, this can serve as shelter. A watchtower actually in that time would serve as a shelter. So you can come in and hunker in. And it also serves as any other ideas. What about your tools? Ah, we got ourselves some storage as well. Okay. Storage, lookout, and then shelter. Okay. All these things. So this is why you're going to have a tower. Uh, Let's kind of keep walking through the tenant farmers. 
Okay, so it says that the owner went away, but then the tenant farmers. Now, what had happened is, according to John MacArthur, the tenant farmers and the owner, they would have made an agreement, okay, uh, to be the reliable caretakers. Okay, okay, yep, we'll take care of this. Now, at that context, even the owner would have paid a certain percentage or the landowners, uh, the tenant farmers would have paid a certain percentage to the owner as a rent. The rest of the profit would always go back to the tenant farmers. So you mailed uh, and you hand delivered, whatever the context is, a certain percentage. But the tenant farmers were the ones that really were eventually going to be going to be making some money. OK, so you've got the tenant farmers, you've got the, the watchtower. Let's talk about the vineyard. OK, the image of a vineyard. OK, a couple things. One, it was very, very common in that region. OK, that was just kind of a staple. Like in Indiana, you see a cornfield. In Israel, you're going to see a vineyard. All right. It's very common. MacArthur also says you just see these on the hillsides of the Palestine land and it was going to be great vineyards everywhere. OK, just kind of. The, and really what, what most people would say is the vineyard was the vineyard was the backbone. This is the backbone of the economy of Palestine or Israel. This is the staple of that community. I remember reading an article on Caterpillar. Uh, the company Caterpillar. Caterpillar, I think it's in Illinois, I believe. Uh, that has such a, not in a negative sense, a stronghold of that community. Like everything is built around Caterpillar like GM was in Flint. And I think one of those, are, those are two of the major companies that like you really depend upon that. And when you get to that point, it's actually kind of scary. You know why, right? Because if that doesn't go well, you're out of luck. The point is this, is that when the backbone of the economy is doing well, all of the country is doing well. When it's not, it's not, it's not good. Kevin, can you go to Psalm 80, verse 8? Psalm 80, verse 8. You uprooted a vine from Egypt. You drove out the nations and you planted it. Verse 9. You cleared a place for it. It took root and filled the land. Verse 10. The mountains were covered by its shade and the mighty cedars with its branches. Verse 11. It sent out sprouts toward the sea and shoots towards the river. Why have you broken down its walls so that all of you who pass by pick its fruit? The boar from the forest gnaws at it, and the creatures of the field feed on it. Keep going. Return, God of hosts. Look down from heaven and see. Take care of this vine. Verse 15. The root your right hand has planted, the shoot that you made strong for yourself. And finally, in verse 16, it was cut down and burned up. They perish at the rebuke of your countenance. There's this image that this symbolizes, the vineyard symbolizes Israel. Just like the fig tree, right? We talked about the fig tree having some form of symbolism. Like if it's good, it's good. If it's bad, it's bad. You're going to see the same theme here with, uh, with the vineyard. Uh, would you go to Jeremiah 2.21? Scripture says this, I planted you a choice vine from the very best seed. How then could you turn into a degenerate foreign vine? So you're going to see this imagery of a vineyard. It's really good. And then yet, wait, 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 wait. How has it gotten to this point? So it's always this good image and then this, this bad image. And now this is what Jesus uses as all of his parable. Kevin, can you go to Isaiah 5, verse 1 and 2? Jesus uses the prophet Isaiah to tell a parable. In Isaiah 5, verse 1 and 2, it says, I will sing about the one I love. A song about my loved one's vineyard. The one I love had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. In verse 2, he broke up the soil, cleared it of stones, and planted it with its finest vines. He built a tower in the middle of it. Whoops, missed that one. Uh, and even 
hewed, hoed, hewed out a wine press there. He expected it <laughs> to yield good grapes, but look, it yielded worthless grapes. So Jesus uses Isaiah 5, sorry for my inaccurate drawing, 5, 1 and 2. Can we go to verse 7 though, 2? For the vineyard of the Lord of the hosts is the house of Israel. And the men of Judah, the plant he delighted in. So Jesus is going to tell you a parable. Okay. Who's it about you guys? Israel. Israel is the vineyard. All right. So now we got this down. I think we understand that if Israel's a vineyard, then who obviously would be the owner? God, right? Okay, if Israel is the vineyard, God is the owner. Okay, we'll get into these other components. Let's go to verse 2. Okay, everybody on the same page? Hopefully this makes sense. There's a, an incredible amount of potential. That's what we're getting at with this parable. An incredible amount. God said, yes, this is my choice plant. And it says in verse 2 of Mark 12, at harvest time, he sent a slave to the farmers to collect some of the fruit of the vineyard from the farmers. All right. Now, this is going to get kind of fun. In verse 2, we'll just say, right now, you have a slave that showed up. A slave came to the farmers, and what was his role? To collect the fruit of the vineyard from the farmers. But it says in verse 3, they took him, beat him, and sent him away empty-handed. <laughs> it's a bad day, bad fruit day. I'm going to describe what I think this is right here. Okay, I want to go to a couple more here. Verse 4, watch this. Again, the owner, that would be in our context, the big picture, God, but the owner sent another slave, okay? So we at least know now two slaves, okay? Another slave came to them, and then they hit him on the head and treated him shamefully. Well, at least he didn't, at least it doesn't look like he died, but it doesn't look like he got any fruit either. All right, now watch this. Verse 5, here we go again. Okay, it says, then he sent another, and it says they, they killed that guy. And then he also sent many others. So I'm just going to say four, five, six, many other slaves, and then they beat some and then killed some. All right, this is really fun here. You ready for this? Can we go to, if we can, Kevin, Leviticus 19.23. Okay, guys, we've studied the Pentateuch and all of you are like, oh, I can't believe we went through Leviticus. We, we might be actually making some headway here when we start tying it all together. Leviticus 19, 23 says, when you come into the land and plant any kind of tree for food, you are to consider the fruit forbidden. It will be forbidden to you for how long? For three years. It is not to be eaten. There are some commentators, and in fact, one of my favorites, Warren Wearsby. Wearsby says that this parable right here in this context, in verses 3, 4, and 5, as all of these slaves are coming in, this is the imagery. And again, I can't say this and can't prove this 100% until I get to the next verse. And it might help a little bit. This might be the first three years of the vineyard. You're not supposed to have any fruit. Why would they beat them, though? <laughs> well, a, why, why is he there to collect it if there's no fruit? Who's the slave? I would say it would be a prophet. Absolutely. So a slave is going to be a prophet. So if this prophet is coming in constantly, 
What is the role of a prophet? To speak whatever the Lord has spoken to. Whatever he's been released to, to say, right? Usually, though, even on a, let's just say the big, big picture, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and then even you can go into John the Baptist. Everybody, at some point in that process, they're always pointing to the coming Messiah. Fair statement? These prophets are constantly pointing to something bigger. And in this context, I would say, can, can we say it dogmatically? No. But in this parable, somebody is being sent from God to speak to, and I'm just going to tell you now, the tenant farmers, they're the religious leaders. And over and over again, the religious leaders refuse to receive and respond to the prophet. Prophet comes, nope, doesn't work. Prophet comes, nope. And they're not seeing any fruit in their words. The religious are constantly saying no. Sometimes they beat him. Sometimes what do they do? They kill him. I mean, think about this. I mean, it's an over and over and over again. And the craziest thing about this whole process, and I love what Nelson's commentary says, is that God has an immense amount of patience with the tenant farmers, with the religious leaders. He's like incredibly patient with these guys that are doing things that are not of the Lord. Okay, so the first three years, oh, it's awesome. Leviticus 19, okay. Kevin, we just read 23, right? All right, now watch this. Let's go to verse 6, okay, if we can, of Mark 12. Again, we don't very rarely go through parables, but I'm just I'm trying to paint a bigger picture of, of who he's talking to, why he's saying this. And in verse 6, it says he still had one to send. A beloved son, finally, he sent him to them, saying they will respect my son. So at this point, right, we've sent slave, 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 slave. And the owner's like, surely they're going to receive my son. OK, they will respect my son. Okay, now here we go, verse 7. But those tenant farmers, they said, hmm, hmm, this is the heir. Come, let's kill him and the inheritance will be ours. Now, this kind of doesn't make sense in some regards because you're like, I don't understand. If they, kill, they probably are assuming at this point that the owner's dead. Okay, there's some kind of like, because if not, then why would they think, maybe if they don't think the owner's dead, then they think everything's still going to come to them. But there's some tension of like, it's still all going to be ours. Kevin, go to Leviticus 19.24. Guys, remember how I said, maybe, maybe there's that five-year time period. In the fourth year, look at this. All of its fruit, okay, of a vineyard must be consecrated as a praise offering to the Lord. So now we at least have fruit, right? And what is that fruit, fruit supposed to be done with? Set aside, basically. It's supposed to be consecrated. It's supposed to be set aside as a praise offering. It's supposed to be dedicated to the Lord. So you could say in some kind of weird way, as the sun comes, right, to the religious, he is being set aside as a praise offering. He's being dedicated. He's being consecrated. He is being sacrificed, yes, because of all that the Lord has done. Okay, here we go. <laughs> the vine dressers, okay? John MacArthur says it well. They're just really getting greedy at this point. They just, they don't want to give anything else back to the owner. They want to keep their percentages and they really just want the vineyard for themselves. And so in verse eight, it says this, they seized him, the son, they killed him 
and they threw him out of the vineyard. I think that's even more weird. They seized him, they killed him, and then what did they do? They threw him out. Kevin, can you go to Hebrews 13, verse 12? Therefore, Jesus also suffered outside the gate so that he might sanctify the people by his own blood. Verse 13. Let us then go to him outside the camp bearing his disgrace. In some simple picture, the writer of Hebrews even references Jesus's death. And then where is his body placed? Outside the camp, outside the vineyard. The whole discussion in, in Israel and Jerusalem is it is the garden tomb or is it the church of the Holy Sepulchre? And the whole discussion is, is it outside city limits? They have this discussion today. You can go there today and this is discussion. And so when you see that little phrase, they threw him out of the vineyard, that is absolutely an incredible key to understanding. They're talking about, Jesus is talking about himself, the Messiah. How many predictions are there, Kevin, in the Gospel of Mark that Jesus told his disciples? Three. Death, burial, and resurrection. Death, burial, resurrection. Death, burial, resurrection. Three times Jesus says, this is going to happen. And in a parable, he begins to say, and, and look, it, it's happening. So I'll just write this on here. I guess it's kind of obvious. But if the son, if the slaves are the prophet, the son is clearly Jesus Christ. And so it says this in verse 9. Uh, Therefore, what will the owner of the vineyard do? Well, we know that he's alive, so that argument wouldn't work. He will come and he will destroy the farmers and give the vineyard to others. Again, just like we talked about yesterday in Mark 11, there are certain things about knowing that the Gentiles were in the courtyard. I just, I never saw that. I never saw that they were welcome in, you know, to be a house of prayer for all nations. This is a new one for me. He's going to give the vineyard to others. Okay, now watch. Let's begin to unpack all of this. Um, now, let, let, let me come back to this for one second. Uh, the destruction of the farmers. Rich, I know you know this. What does that imply right there? Do you have any idea that destroying the farmers, a historical event took place? Anything come to your mind? I don't know. The destruction of the temple is the first thing that comes Absolutely. to mind. Absolutely. When he says he will come and destroy the farmers in AD 70, right? The temple was actually destroyed. The Romans destroyed the temple. Jesus says he will come and destroy the farmers. It, it actually took place. The temple is, it's no longer there. And so it says in verse 10, haven't you read this scripture? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. So who did they reject? Who did the vineyards reject? Or the, the, I'm sorry, the, the tenant farmers. They rejected who? The son, right? That's clear. They rejected him. And then it says, what does it say here? Then it says, haven't you read the scripture? The stone that the, the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. So then what you also see is a change of, of really parables, to be honest, because he goes from a sun to then uh, a cornerstone. So they reject both of these images. OK, Kevin, can you go to Psalm 118, verse 22? Psalm 118, verse 22. The scripture just says this. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Verse 23. This came from the Lord. It is wonderful in our eyes. So we know the, the psalmist even says that they're going to reject the cornerstone. They're going to reject the son that's sent to the vineyard. 
And that's exactly what we just said here in verse 11, right? In Mark 10, and this came from the Lord and is wonderful in our eyes. Verse 12, because they, meaning the tenant farmers, the religious, okay, because they knew that he had said this parable against them, they were looking for a way to arrest him. But they were afraid of the crowd. So Jesus is telling, a, you guys, he's telling a parable about a vineyard. And they knew, very rarely do we ever hear that his enemies get the parable. Like this should be a kind of shocking, like, whoa, whoa, wait, they actually get this? They get this. They knew that they were talking about them and they're looking for a way to arrest him, but they were afraid of the crowd. So they left him and they went away. Okay, let's do this. Okay, I got a little John Piper uh, in me right now today. So we're going to go a little bit about how the vineyard was, first of all, the vineyard is the Jews, right? We've already kind of clarified that, but I want to make sure everybody understands that. Okay, first of all, why did God give the parable to the Jews? Why did he give you the vineyard to the Jews first? Like, why not us? Well, the Jews have priority over the Gentiles simply because they're God's chosen people. He just chose to literally give them that vineyard. Kevin, can you go to Deuteronomy 14 too? And there's so, so many verses that we could run with, uh, literally, that would support this. I mean, how many times, how many times in the Old Testament for you are a holy people belonging to the Lord, your God, the Lord has chosen you to be his possession out of all the peoples on the face of the earth. Exodus 19, six. I mean, there's so many things, but I want you to understand why did he say the vineyard was, was God's chosen people was Israel just because they're chosen. This was God's choice. And all I can say is sorry. (laughs) We weren't the vineyard, the original vineyard. Okay. Another one. Why did God choose the vineyard to be Israel? Because they have a, a priority over Gentiles. This is kind of cool to me. As guardians, and that even makes more sense now with the tenant farmers, as guardians of God's special revelation, the Old Testament scriptures. Okay, so I'm just going to write here, guardians. Okay, and I want to read a couple of verses to you here. Kevin, can you go to Romans 9, verse 4? So why did God choose this as, as the vineyard? Because uh, look at this. It says they are the Israelites and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the temple service and the promises. Like this was the Israelites were given for this reason. Just to get this picture even more clear, go to Romans 3, 1 and 2. So what is the advantage? Uh, does the, What advantage does a Jew have or what is the benefit of circumcision? Verse 2, considerable in every way, First, they were entrusted with the spoken words of God. They were entrusted. They were guardians of the word of God. So they were chosen and in a cool picture, not like an Avengers way, but they were the guardians. (laughs) Okay, number three. Uh, Why did God choose the vineyard to be the Jews first? One is, is because the Jews have a priority over Gentiles in that the Messiah, (laughs) Jesus, he first came to the Jews. I mean, just he first came to the Jews. That was it. Jesus was a Jew and he first came to the Jews. Can you go to Romans 9, 5, Kevin? Uh, The ancestors are theirs. We're talking about the Jewish people. And from them, by physical descent, came the Messiah, who is God overall, blessed forever. So if I'm going to choose a chosen people, I'm going to make sure the Messiah fits into that chosen people. Why the vineyard? Because I think it's kind of self-explanatory. And then the last one, just for time's sake. 
Uh, Kevin, you go to John 4, verse 22. Why? Because the Messiah, I think I'm going to read this one because this will make more sense. John 4, 22, you Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know because salvation is from the Jews. The Messiah, he's from the Jews. And then that means, obviously, so is salvation. Why choose the vineyard as Israel? Because they're chosen, they're guardians, they're the Messiah. And what do you know? The salvation. Now, here's where it gets really, really interesting. And this is where the parable gets a little sticky. Kevin, can you go to John 1, verse 11 and 12? We talked about this yesterday. John 1, 11 and 12. He came to his own people, right? The son came to the tenant farmers. He came to the vine dressers and his people did not receive him. Verse 12. But to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be the children of God to those who believe in his name. So because of, okay, let's make this kind of clear because of, well, here's the words right here, right? Because of rejection, because of rejection, I want to go back to our parable here for a second. It says in verse nine of Mark 12, he will come and destroy the farmers. And then what does it say he's going to do? Give the vineyard to others. So he says, I'm done with you tenant farmers. I'm done with the religious leaders at this point in time. And he says, now I'm going to give it to who? I'm going to give it to others. And in Romans 11, 11 and 12, he makes it pretty clear who the others is. The others then becomes the Gentiles. If you'll go there, Kevin, 11, Romans 11, 11. Romans 11, 11, it just says this. I asked then, have they stumbled in order to fall? We talked about this yesterday again, you guys. Have the vine dressers stumbled in order to fall? Absolutely not. On the contrary, because of them killing the prophets, because of them killing the son, salvation scripture says has come to the Gentiles to make Israel jealous. The tenant farmers, the religious leaders want what now they were supposed to have. That was supposed to be my vineyard. And in verse 12, it says this. Now, if their stumbling brings riches for the world, in other words, because they did the wrong things and their failure riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full number bring? This is an awesome picture to me. I've never looked at the parable of the vineyard this way. And in fact, Kevin, can you go to one more? We're going to do Romans 11, verse 25. Romans 11, verse 25 summarizes everything. So that when I just say this, the tenant farmers, I just want you guys to understand something Um, like God's not done with them. Scripture says this so that you will not be conceited, brothers. I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery. A partial hardening has come to Israel, a partial like, all right, tenant farmers, I'm going to go to somebody else. It has taken place to come to Israel until what? The full number of Gentiles has come in. So the Gentiles need to keep receiving the vineyard. Then it says in verse 26, and in this way, all of Israel will be saved. So the tenant farmers, the religious have an opportunity to be saved. How? Go back to verse 25. Until all the Gentiles receive the vineyard. Go back to verse 26. It says the liberator will come from Zion. He will turn away godlessness from Jacob. And then in verse 27, And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. You know, it's kind of a a crazy parable here. Um, We literally are just in Mark 12, uh, 1 through 12. 
But yet in all of this, even though the vine dressers, the tenant farmers didn't get it, God still had a plan. He kept sending the prophets. He kept son. He sent his son, Jesus. Right. And just because they said no, God said, "Okay, fine, I'm going to give it to somebody else until they all have an opportunity. And then it says the Jewish people then will be saved. No, no, my prayer is that the Lord would speak to you in somewhere in this drawing. And I'm excited. This little parable gets me excited. Mark 12, Lesson 40. Have a great day. We'll talk to you tomorrow.